Greetings, travelers. Welcome to Enter the Zeitgeist with your hosts, John Hardy and Pablo Reveredo Segovia. It's time for us to dig right into the topics. First topic, look at listen to this sick riff that Pablo's been playing for us. This is live, boys. One take. He's still going. I, I was expecting him to hop on the mic. I'm never I'm never gonna stop. <laughs> okay. I'm gonna continuously play throughout the whole podcast. This is a this is a new idea we're gonna have, uh, just for him to like kinda start us off with a, a new intro every week. We'll see how far it goes. This is our first time doing it. Um Yeah. Uh, welcome back to another week of Enter the Zeitgeist. Today's Wednesday, <laughs> a Wednesday. It, it, you probably won't be hearing this on a Wednesday, but uh, this is when we're recording it. Um, I am a very tired boy right now. I destroyed my body in the gym on Monday, and I'm paying for it. And then I went to the gym today, and I regret it. Um, but, you know, I won't regret it in, like... Probably another two days. <laughs> and then, uh, like, yeah. Uh, what have you been up to all week, Pablo? Kind of the same. I'm just destroying myself on homework. Just, like, reading articles about... Uh, about There's, like, this Atlantic article uh, that I shared on my Facebook that talked about uh, schools reopening. And it's just pretty much describing perfectly, like, the situation with campuses... Uh, and how it's, like, not really about the education, but about, like, the college experience, right? Like, the kind of shit that you see on those, like, movies. Yeah. And I think that a lot of the experience is kind of tied up in people kind of playing out that role or thinking it's a a really important part of adulthood is to just be, like, a hooligan and watch football. I don't know. Well, I'm gonna... I am gonna argue that the college experience, while not integral to, like, becoming an adult, I think, like... College is like a time, it's like a transformative time where you can kind of like learn. It's I think it's more of like you learn who you want to be more than you learn about what you need to learn. Uh, like you, you're learning there for sure. And you can't ignore that part. But like mm-hmm. I have, I've learned about myself as a person from college. And I actually kind of agree with the college, like college is an experience more than like an education system. Cause like, I mean, if you, if you want to get like a decent job, you can go to a trade school. Or and well, like if you if you're trying to get a computer I'm science not talking, job, I'm not talking job knowledge. I'm talking because when I think of education, usually I put it in a context of like these are things that you need to know to be a free person, right? Like the Greek idea of education, where it's like, hey, you have to know rhetoric and you have to know history and you have to know these things because you have to explain things to people to influence them because we're a political animal and also you have to know about these things so that people can't like lie to you um and like this is how cooperation works in a society like people have to know how to read how to write rhetoric logic so they well, can spot if someone's being like faulty in their logic and it's I not most of that production happen, based i think most of that happens in primary school um but that's i would also argue that's what's sad in my opinion but a lot of that's uh, learning, especially when it comes to logic and rhetoric and writing, happens in English and mathematics. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But you were, you were talking about, like, reading and writing. Like, people become at least decent at that during, like, elementary school, middle school, high school. 
Yeah, but uh, there's levels to it, I think. Yeah. But are you just complaining about, like, the idea that colleges are open? Well, I'm not upset that colleges are open. I'm upset that... I, I I guess, no. I don't want colleges to be open, but I acknowledge that there are external circumstances that compel them to stay open but those external circumstances are the things that upset me yeah well i think the problem well, i mean it's also a problem with primary schools like primary schools probably shouldn't be open but a lot of them are but i mean also like well our whole I don't know. society it's, it's a weird thing because like I, I mean we're both in our 20s and i kind of feel like everything closed down even though like i mean literally it's this is a planet-wide issue. It's not related to me specifically. Yeah. But, like, everything's shut down. I feel like I'm kind of wasting my 20s right now because I'm just But the not U.S. Doing... is uniquely bad in terms of dealing with it. Like, if we were in New Zealand and, like, yeah. everybody did their part, we'd but just I mean, be But, I mean, there. you just got to make do it with what you can. Like, people of all ages are, like, kids in high school are wasting their high school. Um, kids in middle school are wasting their middle school. That's probably a blessing. Um... You know, people who are in their 30s are, like, delaying their marriages or... I mean, they don't have to be in their 30s. It could be any age. Um, anything like that. Like, it's just not an ideal scenario. I would like to probably move on from this, though, because I don't really yeah. think I we have much new to talk about. Yeah, yeah. Um, um, when, I'd just say one final thing. Yeah. Um, is that... I have to think for a minute. <laughs> Sorry. I'll, I'll um, let you think for a second. But, um... <laughs> let's move on to the next topic i'll probably yeah, remember so what i had to say also this week um you know uh i've got a, two more things kind of interesting happened so i've got some friends from out of town they're from atlanta um they like had they went on like a cross-country road trip and stuff and they're still on it right now but they like came and visited me over the weekend um and stayed in my apartment for like two days it was a lot of fun got some good ramen with them um always good to see some good old friends and i feel like definitely road trip is the way to do it if you can because they're literally going they're stopping like at every cool place in the united states in between atlanta and um i forget what part of california they're going to so like they're going to like the grand canyon and stuff and like right now they're in moab in colorado i mean in utah sorry i was Uh, like the idea like i would think about like van life things but I would notice that I have attachments to a lot of stuff that's difficult yeah, to move around, like I a think, PC computer, instruments, a telescope, things like that. They're not doing van life per se. Like they're, I mean, they're driving in like a jeep across the country. Well, yeah, but, but that would be my conception but, of going. Across but they're only the doing it like they're not living in it permanently, which is something that I think I could do that if it was just for like two weeks or so. But anything longer than that, and I definitely am too attached to like having nice things and a place to and like a bed. And air conditioning and a refrigerator that's full-sized yeah and being able to like i could and my eight foot long desk do van life with a dog there are just so many smells and hairs. yeah well they're doing it with a dog right now they're on their vacation and they have a like a 110 pound um i forget the exact breed of dog but it's badass it's a really cool dog Dang. but also i mean they're driving like eight hours a day with that dog it's a it's a little bit of a hard hard work for them um but yeah it was nice nice to see them and then other notable thing um and we're going to talk about this probably a little bit later in the episode um 
I have acquired a VR headset and I have been experimenting with the VR zone and there's a lot to unpack. All right. But we'll save that for a little bit later. Um, so, Pablo, um, did you did you think of what you were going to say? <laughs> I did not. I did not. Okay, I we'll think... just move on and forget about it entirely then. <laughs> okay. So, um, Pablo, I know you wanted to talk about the Southern Pine Beetle infestations. I have, been, I have been reading about the Southern Pine Beetle for like the past two or three hours when I probably should be doing homework, but it's such a concerning creature. Um, basically, it girdles pine trees, meaning that it like um, eliminates a lot of uh, the nutrients that like go up to to the top of the tree by like burrowing on the outside bark, and it's like invasive. And I was just reading about how uh, it's usually like forest fires and very cold winters that kill it and reduce its range but it's getting mm -hmm. it's going further and further north uh, so there's going to be areas that have a lot of pine trees that are normally used to very cold winters that might uh, get eaten up by these uh, these formerly southern pine beetles and it just makes me think man I do not know much about entomology but I'm worried about these beetles. And so I was uh, reading about them. And if you're an entomologist listening to this um, <laughs> with any news about the southern pine beetle, let me know. I'm concerned. Um, so, Pablo, I don't know if it was the southern pine beetle uh, or if it was some other type of pine beetle. But when I was four years old and we were living in Oak Ridge, um, all of the pine trees uh, in my yard for sure... And then um, I think almost all of the ones in Oak Ridge, honestly, got, like, eaten by pine beetles, and they almost all died. Um, well, the sure the signs of a tree dying from pine beetles is usually from a very large distance away. You can kind of see uh, the tops of trees turning, like, red or something. Mm -hmm. But usually by that, that time, the pine beetles have vacated. And usually they attack sickly trees but if they get in big enough numbers then they can attack a healthy tree uh, but when a when a tree is being attacked by pine beetles usually it like releases like um sap and like these little polyps like all over the tree because uh, it's like burrowing and the tree is yeah. like filling those burrows with the sap to try to like like plug them up or drown them or i don't know i'm no yeah, well, the, pine, the pine beetles left a bunch of holes in the pine trees and like we had to like cut them down because they were not safe yeah, yeah. Because they were very dead they and do. they were like just full of holes. And so we like had to hire a some sort of lumberjack to like come down and cut down like 10 pine trees that were on our yard. Yeah, some forestry so guy. Yeah. So um, southern pine times. beetles, they suck. They, that probably was the su southern pine beetle. If you get all those like, like polyps all over the place, uh, they're definitely like around uh, Florida, Georgia, Tennessee just all up and down the Appalachian mountain range. Uh, I think that they're also in Mexico. But yeah, just... that's... They're a weird animal. <laughs> anyway, it, it made me realize that a lot of the information that I would get on Facebook is very different than the kind of information that you can find on Twitter. 
uh, in terms of like finding like the relevant uh, entomologists and things like that. Like when it comes to Facebook, usually you see some community groups of like forestry people or woodworkers. But when you go on uh, Twitter, you would kind of see uh, more like uh, people at like the Bookings Institute or, or something like that. Mm-hmm. And, and that they're and it made me realize um, there's like a, a big discrepancy in demography and social media uh, there's like you can go and look up on on rooters like information on age differences uh, income levels education um, mm-hmm. like racial makeup of different social media things and like it's true that Facebook is full of boomers and things like that uh, it does tend older, and Twitter tends to be younger, but it's an interesting thing to keep in mind if you get information bubbled, because sometimes I see people online like posting about uh, politics and organizing with other people, uh, but I think that if a lot of the stuff that we're doing now is online, and of course because it's a pandemic, um, that we could be getting like a bad idea of what the landscape is actually like, because... Being in just, like, one platform can put you in an information bubble that makes it difficult uh, to get a real conception of what's actually going on because you don't have all the information, you know? You're not not on the local Facebook page where Martha is, like, arguing about how uh, the mask gives her health problems along with, like, the heavy water... I don't know from like the, yeah I don't know I I mean I think it's just important to know like I think you're you're hitting an important thing here like you never know like especially on social media you never know how credible someone is and stuff and like well, even yeah. from like repeatable sources like news agencies you never just want to like look at one news agency only and like trust them blindly because yeah. like you're then you're just kind of relying on them to not have an opinion that they're feeding you basically um like well it's not just that it's that if like you're in a space and that space has like a different composition than general society then yeah you have and so to take like, that into account when like kind of it like when it starts affecting what you think other people think you know yeah so it's like getting all your information from um an nra newsletter like you're gonna have a lot different perspectives than people who are, like, on the pe- on the parent teacher association or whatever. Yeah, and that could um, happen like in VR too. Like the only people on VR are people who can who have bought a VR headset. Either they prioritized it over other things, but there's like a, a barrier to entry, uh, money wise, and that can yeah, be we, like. Yeah, we can maybe go into that next, I guess. Yeah. Um, so. Uh, as we were talking about, I bought a VR headset. Uh, it was the Oculus Quest 2. I thought it was a good time to get in because they, they made the price for the Oculus Quest 2 is like really affordable. I think I had always been a, like a not interested in getting VR because it was just very expensive. Um, and I think it's only going to get cheaper, I would assume, but uh, it's still like a great jumping on point right now. Um, I would say uh, the issue that I have with it uh, first of all, we're going to just go right into it since we were already talking about social media, is Facebook integration. Um, so previously, Oculus was like the original like modern VR headset innovator. Okay, So they, 
they got bought by Facebook for I think like $2 billion. Um, when they were getting bought, the founder made a promise that like, hey, Oculus will never have mandatory Facebook integration. Um, in 2020, the Oculus Quest 2 comes out. Apparently that was not true forever because now they do require it. Um, oh and that's God. causing, it's a little strange because now Facebook can like track everything you do in VR basically and they can track it to your Facebook account. And you are, if, you're, if, if you do buy this device, you are mandatory, like you, you must log into Facebook. They, like, if you don't log into Facebook, it's a brick, like you can't use it. And there's been a lot of cases actually where Facebook has been like banning people, um, sometimes accidentally, um, recently, and then their headset is just completely worthless unless they get their account re-enabled. Because I think once you log in, your um, it like binds it to your account, and the only way to unbind it would be for you to like not have your account logged like locked out. Uh, it's a very weird scenario. I don't like the idea that Facebook can just kind of say like, oh, this device that we, you've purchased, you no longer can use. That's crazy like it makes, because it, what it basically is, is like a display and an interface with an accelerometer. Um, and none of those things you need to log into anything for. Like well, if I have a mouse, the, I can just plug it into my computer. This would be the equivalent of like Apple saying, hey, we don't like you or your Apple account isn't linked to your like real ID. Um, and because of that, we are going to ban your iPhone and then you just can't log into your iPhone anymore. And you can't answer calls, you can't text, you can't even open the screen because it'll just lock you out basically. Um, granted, I haven't had those problems and I don't know exactly what's causing these problems. I know that if you try and make a fake Facebook, they'll like sometimes ask people to verify by like sending in their driver's license and stuff. Yikes. Um, which is kind of gross. It's actually really gross. I don't like it at all. Also, Craig failed to join. Def technical difficulties. Um, I'm going to correct this real fast. Um, Pablo, we can keep talking, though. Okay. I mean, Craig, usually we just use him to be able to sync our audio together. Yeah. Uh, getting a bit meta with this. I was thinking about like the replayability of our old episodes and how we like to have people on... And we like we would like to uh, like field uh, questions like comments and things from like the audience as frequently as possible. Uh, and I'm like, you know what? Are we more talk radio than we are podcasts? Because a lot of podcasts they have like, uh, if you think about like Radio Lab, they're like edited. They have like the swelling music in the background. They kind of like choreograph it right, where everybody has like a little bit. It's like it's it's more like scripted. Um, when our style is like completely improvisational, um, lots of ums, lots of filler words. So I was thinking, yeah, well, are we talk radio? So I'm going to say that there's a lot of variation in what podcasts can be. And like, yes, there's radio lab, which is a very structured episode. And like, they have a topic they dig, they dig deep. They maybe interview people. They dig deep again. They try and sum it up and they try and like, maybe... You, you, they either take a side on an issue or they like just kind of give you information from both sides and kind of leave you to make your own decision. Mm -hmm. And then maybe they, they like try and tug at your emotions a little bit. Um, and then there's also like the, just anybody has a podcast. Let's talk about these things. Let's think about them. And I, 
I actually think, I mean, that's still a podcast. And it's podcasts are basically just an extension of radio without all the overhead of, um, like, a radio station and, like, having to rely on someone else to, like, give you time. Because mm-hmm. we're just putting these episodes out. Because, like, let's be very clear. We would not have a radio show. We're two people who are completely unknown. I mean, yeah, um, but I'm talking about, like, what if, um, like, how would a live component affect the way that we have these discussions? Like, imagine if, like, there's, like, uh, a caller line that we open up, and if, like, so, people are listening in at a certain hour, we're like, hey, welcome to Enter the Zeitgeist. Well, I think if we had enough listeners who were interested, I think it would not affect our episode at all, other than we would be able to take, like, live calls from people. Because we don't really, like, we don't edit things out, really, um, from the episode. That's what I and like about we, it. Yeah, so I think we could potentially do some live stuff. Because, um, I mean, since we are so improv, we could definitely take live calls. Um, I guess if people are interested, let us know. But I don't think we have enough user base for that to be worth it. It would probably just be <laughs> better for us to schedule someone to be on if they're interested. Oh, yeah, yeah. And, Plus, and that way we can also screen them ahead of time of, like, what do you have to talk about okay. vaguely? Some questions I like to ask our audience, like, uh, we have, like, an email, enterthezeitgeist at gmail.com that you can send the responses to uh, about, like, what what are your expectations when listening to Enter the Zeitgeist? What would you like to see? How can we make it easier to get in contact with us uh, about these things? Because I'd like to know what we could talk about. All right. Um, yes. Well, Pablo, I also want to go back to the VR zone. Ooh, Craig yes. is back. I think the server has just failed for them. Ooh. Uh, for those who don't know, Craig is a Discord bot that like records our audio. It's like our backup recording. Um, so it kind of <laughs> sucks that he failed. But anyways, um, gosh, derailing myself. Uh, so the VR zone, uh, the Oculus Quest 2, very cool. Um, I I had previously tried. Pablo originally had like an Oculus, an Oculus Rift test kit. Yeah, like this the, is the very beta kit. beta the, the developer yeah. version. And I will say that that made me very nauseous when we used it that one time. Oh many yeah, years ago. <laughs> um, it, and it was then, like low frames per second, very grainy screen. The screen resolution wasn't quite how they have it now. Yeah, well, and then, so, I used my friend's HTC Vive, like, two years ago, and I'll say that that was pretty cool, but it wasn't, like, really that cool, and, like, you could you still had, like, the screen door effect, and, like, yeah. everything, and so the Oculus Quest 2 is cheaper than the Vive, but I'll say you you can't really see the screen door effect at all, like, you, you don't see it, and I have perfect vision, so... Um, but I will say that things aren't, I mean, things are a little blurry just because, I mean, screens are pretty high resolution, but you're right next to them. Like, mm-hmm. if you take any screen and you get right next to it, it's pretty, like, you're going to be able to see the individual pixels. Um, yeah. And I think also part of that, it might be due to the fact that, like, Facebook kind of cheaped out on their, like, IPD setting. And for those who don't know, this is kind of a technical term, inter, intrapupillary distance. And that's, like, the distance between the middle of your both your pupils. And so, like, when they... 
So pr most other VR headsets, including the Oculus Quest 1, have like a little slider that you can slide between the two ranges of IPD, and hopefully you're within those ranges. Um, the Oculus Quest 2 is doing things a little differently, and there's only like three settings you can slide it to. So you better hope that you're like, kind of close to those settings. And I think the plan is for them to do some things with software to like kind of artificially make it more like your actual IPD. Mm -hmm. But that's not, they haven't done anything like that yet. So you just have to hope that you're kind of close. And I think for most people, and including for me, it, like, it works fine. Like I don't really feel like it's, it doesn't look bad. But I, I'll say that it, I do feel like maybe it could just be slightly adjusted and it would look better. Um, but also, this is the only VR headset I've owned, so I guess I can't really talk that much about it. But it's like the whatever. problem with belts. Like, you know those, like, fabric belts that come with, like, the loop? You can oh, no, it's exactly like the belt problem. Like, you could make a hole in between, and that would maybe fit you better than either two holes. Yeah, and that's why I like um, the fabric belts that go through, like, the double, like, metal loops that, like, is like a friction fit. Then you can just, oh, yeah. like, make it just as tight as you want. It's way better to have a spectrum than to have a bunch of discrete units. I don't know why they did it. I think it was maybe a cost-cutting measure because this is significantly cheaper than like pretty much any other thing in VR, especially when you consider that not only are you getting a monitor, a like 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 a one really nice monitor for your eyes to like go on. This is another thing. They're only using one monitor for the display. There's most other VR headset use two, one for each eye. Hmm. Um, you're getting like monitor lenses, the headset. Um, you're getting built-in headphones and microphone, although the headphones aren't that amazing. The microphone sounds pretty good. My um, suspicion is that it's the manufacturing isn't the only reason why it's cheap. I think oh, that definitely. Facebook is definitely se selling your data. Or, well, or they're probably something. I think that everyone seems... It, the general consensus seems to be that Facebook's pretty much taking a loss, like a slight loss on these, mm -hmm. um, or at least not making any money on them. Or but just to get you into the walled garden, basically. Well, if you get into the walled garden, like you're like I've already spent a fair number of dollars buying apps from them, and then like also, they are now like they've got my data, and like they're capturing. I would assume they're probably tracking my eyes, like and seeing what I'm looking at. Honestly, um, it, at the very least, they're definitely tracking like what I look at, um, and like what I'm. Like what games I'm playing, like what it, like have I used the browser? I don't know. Like they're definitely tracking all that stuff. Yeah, I got um, a little Firefox extension that could uh, use the kinds of uh, methods that uh, data gatherers basically uh, use to like analyze me. It would basically be my I would do surveillance on myself. Basically, this thing would keep track of everything I write uh, for how long I looked at each post things that Facebook can keep track of. And it would tell me things like what kinds of ideas people can get about my political opinions, my religious affiliations, uh, my likes and dislikes, uh, my attitudes, yeah, attitudes towards Do things. Do you know what plugin this important was? I'm try that. Um, I think it's discontinued, but it would, um, I'm going to check my Firefox right now. However, I think I used it on my desktop and my desktop is dead. I really wish I set up the sync. Um, okay. But just look up anything with self-surveillance, and uh, it's such like a, a, an important thing to to be able to keep track of yourself so that you know uh, what kinds of things other people can keep track of based off of your behaviors online. 
because uh, it's kind of freaky that like even like this thing that I put on my computer that has a fraction of the information that Facebook has can be like, yeah, this is your political leanings. Uh, these are the things that really upset you. <laughs> you know, um, these are the things that you like interacting with. Um, and it's just like a, a little list on there. It put it in your Tinder profile. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's definitely interesting. Um, I want to, okay, so back to the Oculus Quest. So before, the, up till now, we've been a little bit negative on it. And I think there's, that's something you need to be aware of if you're like considering getting one um, or, and like Facebook is weird. Mm -hmm. But I will say for what you get, it's a great, I think it's a great device because not for $300, which is cheaper than like every other VR headset that's actually good at all on the market right now. Um, you're also, not only are you getting the headset, but it also basically has like a really powerful phone hardware in there. So it can like run stuff independently of a computer. So like most of the VR headsets, aside from the Oculus Plus one, you have to, uh, or like the Google Daydream or whatever, like you have to plug them into a computer to get them to work. Mm -hmm. uh, the Oculus Quest, does not have to do that. It can run on its own. And I've played quite a few games on it that run really well, like natively. So I like, there's no reason for me to use my computer basically. Like, hmm. like everyone loves Beat Saber and it, like, it's just pretty much like the, the standard like rhythm game. And then like, so I, you think I played it, some like super It like super occupies like the space that's like in between a console and a PC thing. It's like a console. Yeah, it's really weird. So hook it's, up to a PC. It's, it's basically a console, but you can also hook it up to your computer, which I can, which I have done. And I'll talk about that in a second. Um, but the coolest thing I've played on it so far has absolutely been these like little Star Wars VR games, and they're like they're ten dollars and probably. Each, there's three of them, and they're, each one of them probably takes, like, two hours to play. Um, and then there's, like, an extra mode where you can, like, fuck around with your Star Wars lightsabers. Mm -hmm. um, which I haven't really explored them all that much. I've only played two of them so far. But they're called Vader Immortal. And you are, like, some, like, ship pilot, and you, like, meet Darth Vader, and, like, he's, like, he, like, teaches you how to be, like, a Jedi. It's very cool, and it definitely shows off, like, what the fuck is up with VR like it's incredible and i'll also say like there's like a climbing section in the first one and i did it like the first day i had vr and i did get a little motion sick from it it was very very like disorienting uh to like be like climbing something but while i'm just standing still on the floor yeah know? yeah but it was also one of the coolest things that i've ever seen done with video games and i really 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 like it and also, I'm after I have done it a little bit, I don't really get disoriented as much anymore. Um, apparently, I have probably mostly gotten my VR legs at this point, which is a real thing. Um, if you're new to VR, uh, a lot of people will get motion sickness the first couple times because it's just kind of strange to be moving around when you're not actually moving. And I'm so excited to the kinds of like new things that you can do with it because you really get like a sense of scale for objects. It, with my old developer kit, I played like this modified version of Minecraft. And when you made something big, it was big. If something was three blocks high and you were next to it, you had to look up to to see the the top of it. So you could get like a ridiculous uh, sense of scale 
uh, for stuff that you just can't uh, get uh, otherwise. Well, I mean, like, uh, unless you're in real life. Well, I had a well, friend who really liked using Google Earth with it. Uh, people oh, like awesome. um, like Project Bellingcat, for example, that used it to, along with software that can turn uh, video footage of things into 3D models to investigate uh, claims from like the Russian government about uh, things in Syria, because Syria is like the most documented on social media, uh, like civil conflict, um, like to so far. Um, it's it's a very interesting technology, and and I would use it in the library as well. Uh, they would have like little drawing applications, and I'm like, imagine teaching math in this, teaching people derivatives. It could maybe be a cool. I I can definitely see some cool applications, um, and I think like probably we'll see like we're, VR is still pretty new, and like not that many people have it. But the thing that's exciting is even though Facebook's the devil, tons of people are going to be buying. Like, I think a ridiculous amount of people just got into VR for the first time um, with the Oculus Quest 2 because they're all sold out pretty much um, mm-hmm. at this point. Uh, and, like, the the Quest 1 has been sold out the basically the entire time that it was out. I think part of that's because of the pandemic. But, like, uh, like tons of people are going to be having this now, so there's going to be a lot more people developing s- stuff for it and people just messing around with it and figuring out, like, what you can and can't do and like what's fun and just like any applications like a lot of people like watch movies on it and it, it like it looks really cool because it's like filling your entire f- like frame i personally would probably rather watch a movie on a tv but like if you know you do you um it's very cool I, i'm very very excited about it um also back to the sense of scale thing i feel like i meant to say this earlier but um that's been something that i've noticed like so we Pablo and I have, like, messed around on VR chat, if you know what that is. It's just, like, you can get on there and chat with nerds <laughs> with, like, video game avatars or whatever. Yeah. And what it really winds up is there's a bunch of, like, people in bikinis and then Kermit the Frog. Um, but uh, it's pretty fun to talk to people on there sometimes. And I've noticed that in VR, I get more invested in the conversation. Probably because, number one, I have nothing distracting me. I'm literally just in VR talking to these people. Mm-hmm. But also, it's I think it's because, like, I am... It feels, like, more like I'm actually talking to someone real because I'm, like, looking at them from my own, like, point of view. Mm-hmm. It's just... It's very... It's very interesting. I definitely noticed a difference in, like, my level of engagement with people. And we also learned that on the VR chat, like, there's a... Screen. Sorry, your audio got a little garbled. What did oh. you say? I, I was very interested in like talking to people and more more invested in the conversation when I was actually like looking at them from my point of view rather than like looking at them through my screen sitting in a chair, you know. Yeah, you're like not talking to a rectangle, you're talking to like a Yeah, uh, I'm talking to a, like a real model. Like, <laughs> well, not a real thing. It's definitely a virtual thing. But I'm talking to a as like something that exists to my senses knowledge. Obviously, I know it's not real, but something that exists right in front of me that my senses are telling me this is here. You can see it. You can hear it. Mm-hmm. Like, um, I think it's very cool. Uh, I will be playing more VR chat. I. I, I'll say that I have gotten into, like, there was one night that I was just, nothing was going on, really. No one was online. 
and all my like my two friends were out of town that I usually hang out with uh, during the pandemic. Um, so I got on there and I fucking got some beers and I fucking drank. I did like play drinking games with people on VR chat and it was super fun. <laughs> like it was amazing. I really thought. I mean, and honestly, it'd be it'd be fun to do it without a VR headset too. Uh, but definitely not as fun. It was a little bit. Uh, it was a little bit difficult to start to like make sure I wasn't spilling anything while I had my headset on, though. Oh yeah, like those things can <laughs> get sweaty. Uh, I don't think that that's a problem that people can actually. I don't know if the technology exists. It's like you can't uh, have they're, fans. They're just venting. Like you can have you can have like air holes basically that don't let light in. Uh, that okay. it does exist. My screen went to sleep. Well, I want fuck. to talk about okay. something Anyways, a little bit different. Uh, we're back. Uh, Reggie Watts. Uh, <laughs> this dude is inspiring me when it comes to music. He makes very complicated music with just a mic and a bunch of distortion pedals. And I found this like little audio box. This little audio box USB thing that um, I got for like like a birthday like many, 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 many years ago. Uh, before I had enough knowledge in my brain to really know what it really does uh it's like this thing that you plug into your computer and basically it lets you use your computer as an amp but the most important thing is that it can take your sound turn it into something like digital like you plug in your guitar into it or a microphone yeah. and then you can simulate a pedal's transformation on that sound on your computer so if you have a really powerful computer um you don't need to go and buy several hundred dollar pedals. You just kind of like simulate them, um, and you can control like the how how uh, uh, high performance it is, so that you don't have like a very big delay between like you playing a note and the note coming out of your speakers. But in setting it up, I've noticed that so much of the software that you have to get is proprietary basically like these are just mathematical transformations on wave functions and the software out here is like hey you want a um a delay or a looper pedal or this pedal or that pedal that we simulate virtually uh give us like a five dollars and i'm like or get some credits or sign up to our suite of of things uh, i'm surprised it's only five dollars pablo because i'm just going to tell you from my experience everything in audio production is extremely expensive yeah and i'm like how difficult is the math really because i mean i am getting my bachelor's in this stuff i know about fourier series transforms i know about going into um <laughs> making those kinds of transformations from place value to like summing up waves um let's make an open source digital audio workstation pablo come on yeah like that would be so cool because then people could just like make their own pedals and they can get crazy with them there's like no limit to the kinds of mathematical transformations you can make to this kind of stuff adding multiplying uh delaying adding like looping um fucking feedback loops there's just too much actually and like uh, I wonder how you could do that. Like, what would the programming language be? Um, and here's where I talk about my next point, where it's like, uh, every programming language that I've, that I've programmed in seems to, like, 
facilitate some things and make other things a bit more difficult. Mm-hmm. Like there's like some languages that are much better for formatting documents, some languages that are like you could like theoretically do something like game development in them, but it's so messy that it's not worth the time. And it makes me think that the languages are just user interfaces. They're like mathematical user interfaces. And well, so, they pretty much are because all, all basically all languages are just like an abstraction layer between you and like binary, basically. Yeah, well, like, assembly, but like, could you have that like for sound? Like basically, you type in uh, make C note uh, repeat this many times, add re- reverb at time so on, uh, and at the beginning you might say how long the track is or whatever. Let's um, program an AI. <laughs> program an AI? <laughs> there Let's it, train a neural net to make audio. There is a little um, AI that I've downloaded. Um, I, I think maybe I deleted it, but it's like this uh, Python thing that someone trained on like lots of classical pieces, and so then it just kind of like generates piano music. Um, it's called like Compose or something, but the next time... I'm on this podcast. Hopefully, I will have it because it's very cool. Yeah. You say I see in the notes that you say he has cool sweaters. Yes, Reggie Watts has very cool sweaters. He is a style icon. Um, I am into sweaters because of him. I used to be a cardigan man uh, because of uh, the Mister Rogers business, um, but cardigans are difficult to clean. Uh, I don't know. I like. <laughs> I'm shifting more towards the sweaters. Sweaters are cooler. Yeah. I'll say it. <laughs> Cardigans. I'll make you, the executive decision here. You open them up. That's what they got going for them. It's symbolic yep. of how Mister Rogers opens up to you emotionally. I don't know. Definitely, proprietary software is just like a big shame. Like, if you want to make any music, basically, I don't really know of there if there being any good of like free software yeah i'd rather I, rely on other music makers than uh and and on myself than rely on some external uh set of marketers and middlemen and in an industry and, and all that stuff to to make music um it's like it's it's really about independence in the making process because if someone else is putting like a little uh toll <laughs> to like a little toll bridge between you and a certain way of making things um then that's just an artificial limitation well i mean th- i mean sometimes limitations help people though like you might make music differently because you don't have all the latest greatest coolest most expensive stuff that's true you know because um, like i don't know there's been a lot of cases where like limitations have sometimes been interesting like example like 3d graphics like sometimes you have to like innovate because you can't just like you can't just put the most beautiful thing on screen because it would just murder the hardware well yeah well that's so what, what a so lot of like, like indie, stylize it yeah indie game developers did um because they weren't working with as much resources they kind of like made uh conceptually interesting games like undertale or like something uh with more of like a narrative yeah and it, i think that's i mean not to say that you shouldn't want more freedom to be able to do more things, but sometimes the like not being able to do stuff can can like help you. Because everyone, I think, 
I mean, I am not a musician, but I think pretty much everyone who like produces music gets into like their own little workflow of like how they do it, mm-hmm. and they might like drastically alter that every once in a while. But like, like they probably like figure out one program and use it for a long time to to kind of do the same thing. Yeah, I guess I just don't like the idea of my stuff kind of being held hostage. Like my stuff being like the potential of this like little computer chip to do math um is being held yeah. hostage or like well, when it's it comes not being to like hostage. a VR you could easily headset. write your own thing it's just that these people have spent a lot of time writing their own thing and then if you want to use it you have to pay them that's true but mo- most i mean that's just the case with most not just music software but like productivity software or um like video software uh, although i think for video, there are a couple of options that are pretty, that are good, that are free. And if you're looking at like Photoshop, like GIMP exists, but I'm going to be true. very clear. GIMP is not anywhere close to as good as Photoshop. Yeah. And I guess um, they really have to focus on the performance end of things. They would have people that are really getting into the nitty gritty of the C compiler and stuff like that to try to make it as fast as possible on the hardware. Because uh, if you want um, sound to go in, that sound to be processed and sound to go out, and then not have a whole lot of de- a delay, you can't really be messing with uh, language that isn't close to the hardware. Um, I don't know. I, I mean, I haven't really looked into it. I would assume that it's not absolutely restrictive uh, because we've been doing audio, like digital audio for a long time. Um, yeah, but I'm talking about like live processing, basically. Like, yeah, I know, but I mean, we've been doing live processing of audio for a long time, like since the 2000s easily. That's true. Now maybe there's more sophisticated algorithms that you're trying to run it through that might like do more wacky stuff. But like it's I don't really think that the computer hardware is not able to handle this for a while. Or maybe independence is you can find it by just going back to the basics. People used to make music by just like having two sticks and hitting them together or just slapping some water, who knows. You have yeah, like the I little mean, rhythm, the chanting there's nothing stopping Stop. you. I mean, you. I mean, you could technically just record one part of your song and then just layer them together, and that would not require any editing software, really. Yeah, like it would it require the most basic of editing softwares, it, albeit Audacity, which is what we're using to record <laughs> yeah. this podcast. I'm learning that my university library has streaming services, but they're not like regular streaming. They're library st- streaming. So if you go on there and you go look at their catalog, it's a lot of like videos of like. Um, ancient Mesopotamia in 1492 or well not ancient Mesopotamia at that time but you know like it's a lot of historical documentaries about places and times because there's a lot of places and there's a lot of time Um, but I've also found like this music collection and they have everything from like old Argentine folk uh, to like uh, record like records of like uh, Native American uh, music um and things like that like they're like dated and thoroughly documented uh library style i'm just like listening to that stuff and and i'm like man you know you didn't need a computer or or anything that had to do with uh electric stuff or a factory or anything to make music back then it's like woodworking Mm -hmm. like you would just have a blacksmith make you a blade you made the housing for the things with with your own wood and you have a plane the woodworker used to be the person who, for the most part, made his own tools that he worked with. Uh, but then now, if you want, like, a plane, uh, 
like there's still some pretty good Japanese like kana like the little woodblock planes um, but you're not making that wood yourself uh, wood shape uh, or you could get those like expensive big metal hand planes that you just can't make in your backyard we, we just rely more and more on on um, industry and all well, these, like, isn't that because things. these planes are these planes better than the old planes I would assume um, I guess so I mean if something happens to them then you might have to buy a new one because you can't fix it um, mm -hmm. that's my biggest concern but I guess I guess they must be I, I'm not sure I some definitely people do prefer it the might just Japanese be more affordable, I don't know for some things but I definitely do hate like the throwaway culture uh, of things like no more and more technology is just not repairable or extremely difficult to repair um, I was watching some like video the other day about some guy who like bought a bunch of GoPros online and apparently they were like really hard to fix them because they don't offer replacement parts for a lot of the things mm -hmm. um, so you just kind of have to hope that that's not the thing that's broken um, and also there's no good way to like take it apart so like it's very strange. Oh yeah, like I've taken apart my phone to replace the battery, and my because of that, my dad is like, "Hey, can you help me replace my screen?" And no one, I, well, I mean, I feel like there are people that are worse, but Apple has so much stuff that they do uh, to make their phones hard to open up and, and repair. Like they have special, um, uh, like screws, like the heads of their screws are special. So you have to yeah. have like a like a little like a special screwdriver um, to open those up. Uh, like when it comes to their laptops, they put glue on the batteries. They just glue them in there. And I'm like, oh yeah. my god, this is terrible. Uh, <laughs> and it kind of like feeds like this instinct of me, this part of me that's like survivalist or something. I just go on YouTube and I watch videos of just people just making shit in the woods. Like you know, if, if something breaks and you made it in the woods. That you could just make another one, you know, or you could fix it since you made it. Yeah, and that's the thing. I, that's why I don't. That's the thing I don't really like about modern tech is because like you, some of these. I mean, it's part of the growth process, I guess. Because by getting more complicated chips, we probably need to make them smaller. We gotta have some tiny circuit boards because we want tiny things. Like an iPhone is a really complicated device, and it has to do a lot of things. So it kind of makes sense that it's a little bit more disposable because mm -hmm. like if it breaks, it's probably really hard to fix. But like. Technology in general, I don't really like to see becoming unrepairable. And like anything that has a possibility for a replacement part, I think they should be selling them. In the case of iPhones, they do sell those though. Like they sell screens and stuff, and they sell replacement like charging jacks and stuff. Yeah. Have you seen the movie so, Robots? No. Like the animated film, like with the there's like this it basically. I've the seen the trailer. Yeah, the plot of the film is like oh, it's a very old one, but I think it's still kind of like relevant in its message is is that like there are all these like uh different models and they all needed uh spare parts but then the people who are in charge are like no we're all going to do things this way if you can't afford it too bad we'll melt you down uh because you're going to become obsolete and you're basically going to die because you don't have robot health care essentially but it, <laughs> it's supposed to be a metaphor for something bigger but i feel like that's the situation now is that we're just getting funneled in technology-wise into into one thing. If you look at the way that people make phones in like Shenzhen, Shenzhen, I don't think I'm pronouncing Shenzhen? it well. Yeah, Shenzhen, China, um, where they have all like the electronics, um, and a lot of people can play around and and just make 
very odd and hyper specific things um uh like i just feel like there's just so much like freedom there to to mess around that you don't really uh get when when you have all these things that are glued together or um unsolderable <laughs> who knows yeah that's just a big problem with like that's definitely just a big problem with like the whole consumer culture because as you were saying like people are like to as technology advances, it allows us to do more things, but we become more reliant on the previous technology to even get us to this point. Mm-hmm. Like computers, if we like an EMP hit all of America, we would be fucked because like all of our computers that weren't in Faraday cages would just be completely zapped, and then like we wouldn't be able to make new computers because all the manufacturing equipment that makes new computers runs off of computers mm-hmm. so we would it's like a chicken or the egg scenario then and you're just like how do we get back there and the answer is you have to start from scratch basically and work your way back up and then historians Although, of technology are just gonna be so well paid <laughs> they're gonna go from like who from i don't know where to i don't know where well i mean there is some level of redundancy like i'm sure there's a lot of people who store data in faraday cages and i'm sure that there's plenty of computers that are would not be actually hit by the EMP, but the vast majority of any computers in existence, like everyone's cell phones and stuff, they would all just get fried in the event of some terrible like extinction event. Yeah. And so that's why I'm like learning things like and I kinda do this therapeutically. I also kinda do it as like a form of craft, but I like just going out and picking up things uh outside and just making stuff out of them. Like, I learned just how fun. to twist my own plant fiber out of just anything anything that has fiber. I could probably make a rope out of it. Uh, not celery, not anything wet, but, you know, things like uh, dried grass, uh, long hairs. Uh, I don't know what. I can, make a, I can make a rope out of it, probably. A little, a little string. Mm-hmm. And so I made this necklace, basically, where I got this stone, I drilled, like, the the hole in it, um, and so then I put, like, a fiber rope around it, and I'm like, hey, look, you got a fucking, uh, whatchamacallit, a necklace, or a bracelet, or, uh, what, what else can you do with it? There are these little things, uh, that my mom would find in her, uh, backyard, where people would chip at the sides of round stones to kind of, like, make a knob where they could tie string. Because they would use these stones as, like, weights on the end of the string. You would get three long strings with stones at the end of them and tie them together at the top. So you would have kind of like a, 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 a thing that you could throw where the... Is this a bola? Yeah, the, the, the stones would, would wrap around the thing and then wh- whatever you threw it at, like, they would just be encased in, in rope. They'd be tied. You can use it for hunting. I was like, oh my gosh, like, if I could just chip stone like that, I can make my own fucking bola. (laughs) And so I'm thinking, like, oh, I could make, like, a stone hammer, like, if I get um, a big stick and I just split it down the middle and I find a flattish rock, I could put it um, in the middle and then do, like, a square lashing with the rope. We thought we were talking radio. We're, We're primitive technology right now. Look, the thing is, is that this is a therapeutic activity for me. Um... 
and I also like just making these things as like little craft objects. But you know exactly where you came, they came from. You know exactly how to make them. If you break, you can make another one of them. And I think that is just like a an interesting idea, at least from an art perspective. Um, the only thing that upsets me, I guess, about my like stone amulet thing that I made is that I had to rely on a drill press and a diamond drill bit to make the hole in the stone. I think next time I'm going to think of some way to hold the stone that doesn't involve that. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's, I mean, it's def that's definitely a cool thing. I, if I had more, if I didn't live in such a downtown area, I would do similar things. I've always wanted to like get into like blacksmithing and stuff and like make knives. But oh, oh yeah. alas, I live in the Denver metro area and that's not to, that's not going to happen. I think that I want to like find out which plant like which plants are good for this type of stuff. Like I've been watching YouTube videos where um, there are people who are anthropologists and they keep alive like information about like indigenous uh, crafts, like how they would make shoes out of a particular kind of like yucca plant. Um, and I am no herbologist. I don't even know the word for people that study plants in general. I think dendrologist is for trees. Um, but I, I can at least have some memory and some relationship with some plants around me by interacting with them, trying to make them into fiber ropes. Then next time I could be like, oh, that's the plant that I, I did this to. Uh, I could maybe like learn its name later on. I don't know. I think that it gets me connected to my environment in a way. It's a very non-economic activity, but it's, it's, uh, it's kind of meditative. Yeah. That's. I mean, I mean, it, I, I mean, I, I. I'm struggling to put together some thoughts on this, but the I think that's a really cool thing to do, and I think like it's important to know these skills and like, definitely anytime you spend in nature is like cool. Have you have you watched Primitive Technology? Yes. Pablo? Yes, I think I've I've watched a lot of them, but once they get like too complicated, like past the reach of things I'm thinking about, I sort of like tune out. And I'm like, ah, okay. I mean, it, it's well, cool. I mean, he started from the bottom. Yeah, he did. For those who don't know, there's this YouTube channel of some guy who, I think he lives in Australia, and he just goes out into his backyard, which is, like, the middle of, like, the outback, the Australian outback, and he just, like, makes stuff, just, like, from scratch. Like, he starts, like, one of his first videos, I think, he, like, makes himself, like, a stone axe. Mm-hmm. And, like, he uses that and, like, everything else... To like make a, to make every to make everything else basically, and like he he goes from like having nothing but his bare hands to like, at one point he like he like smelted iron recently, because he like found iron in some rocks. Oh man. Um, but I I don't think he's been doing much since the pandemic, sadly. Yeah. Um, I would like learn, and I would be kind of disappointed sometimes, um, of like how much, our technological development relied on receiving objects that um were like geological features of very far away places right like we would rely a lot on trade to be able to get things like copper and tin and make that into bronze um well it just makes sense though because like not everyone has all these natural resources and also like maybe you're not good at mining copper you know, you don't have, maybe you have copper, but you don't have any copper mines set up, you know? Yeah, I mean, um, 
But yeah. But if, if this guy has a ton of copper and he's willing to trade it with you, and you have a bunch of like lemonade and you're willing to trade it with him, mm-hmm. um, good good business. And like that's also like, it's really hard to like. Not everyone can specialize in everything. That's so, true. Like, but there'd be like you kind of have to rely on someone else to provide you with your natural resources in order for you to actually make headway doing something that you want to do. Like, well, that's true. going back to the music I've, production, like, uh, like if everyone had to write their own like sp- per, like software in order to make music on a computer, I think there would be a lot less musicians. Probably. I mean, yeah. I mean, uh, like, a lot of how music, like, opened up to people basically made it so that there was more music out there to be had and enjoyed. Uh, definitely these things are facilitated by a trade. It would just be interesting to me how, over time, uh, exchange became, like, the defining thing of production, where it's not so much your knowledge of production that allows you to produce, but your knowledge of exchange, um, and that you could be uh, in that things would incorporate things from very far away places uh you could have like fiber from one place uh metal from another place um things that are manufactured into shapes in two other places and uh shipped via like with other things to make it like cheap because it's done in mass like Mm -hmm. um and so it I, i guess like when i think about like the a history of development i would think about like the history of science like the history of of how that was applied to make tools and industri- industry and things like that but i guess i the, what i would overlook is like the history of exchange like we would create like financial mechanism and things like that but predominantly the reason why we make stuff is because it's exchangeable uh i would watch this uh video documentary thing that the library had that was in the cheesy 90s style but it was in, it was done in 2008 um of like marketing like how to find your the audience that you're like making your business for and so on um and it'd basically be like every product is designed uh principally around like a group of people who you think are going to consume it you'd just be like my target audience is uh women in their 50s uh, who get money from this or my target audience is uh, two uh, couples that don't have any kids um, and then I would learn like all these sales terms from these Facebook meme groups of like uh, salesmen telling jokes that there are some people called dinos a double income wait double income no uh, wait no they're called dinks sorry double income, double no, income kids. no kids yeah. yeah and I'm just like Oh my goodness. So like so much of the stuff is kind of just designed around exchange, like the idea that you're going to get money for it uh, rather than uh, designing it around like a kind of like need. Like, let's say I am cold. I must make myself a coat. Um, I'm going to get a bone needle and I'm going to make some thread out of leather and (laughs) I don't know, like make myself like a, a warm coat or jacket thing. I mean, I think that sounds cool, and if you have hobbies and you like to do that stuff, that's, I think that's a noble pursuit, but I also think that for the vast majority of people, the only reason society has advanced to the point where we have all these comforts in life, like mm-hmm. if we have air conditioning and stuff, is because we rely on other people being skilled, providing us the things we live with. Yes, but like a like, lot of people live in, in kind of like worse conditions that they might be than just like having the freedom to go out and survive on their own, I guess like um like when it came to 
early industrial life that's sort of like what's happening in these places that are like getting hyper exploited uh in like in, in other countries where we just like go hey please manufacture all our clothing uh and they're like oh we don't have uh labor laws or things like that uh <laughs> and yeah, they're like yeah that's, that's why there is cause for concern i'll say like the iphones being made at foxconn people literally just locked in a building basically there's nets around so they can't commit suicide or the whole like lithium mine stuff i'm like what yeah not not a good look guys um i don't really know all the details about the lithium mines but i do know that it's not ideal conditions <laughs> not ideal it's like uh oh yeah yeah it's like um there's like a lot of jokes uh, surrounding um elon musk when it comes to that kind of stuff because he's just like the yeah. cobalt mines <laughs> yeah open a cobalt mine guys i'll pay you <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah like there's just so much involved with just not knowing where the stuff in our lives comes from like if i uh see a book like th like we might think that we have consumer choices but a lot of the choices are made way before we even get the opportunity uh, to have a say in the whole process like where does the paper from our books come from where does the blah for the blah and there's so many choices that we can't conceivably make ethical choices all the time uh it, even if we could like uh the only way to be sure is uh oh you just make it yourself like i know no one was exploited in the making of this charm thing because i made I it i mean i would i would say that if you think about like the modern lives you live probably someone's getting exploited from any kind of product you're buying ever like even if you have an ethically made product they're still going to ship it to you on a truck or you're going to buy it from amazon and amazon exploits their warehouse workers a little bit and like they exploit their shipping workers a little bit like and you're also now you're like burning tons of gas i don't know it's like not it's the modern lifestyle is not necessarily ethical or sustainable long term um but i mean it's what we got right now so what makes Hopefully, it modern though like if if it's modern i would think that it'd just be something that just works um but it's like since so much of it is like the exchange exchange price of things versus like what is it that you're like actually doing to the environment or or things like that or or to other people um in order to make the thing which of course like the thing that you're making could be better than the thing someone could make themselves uh but if if what's going on to do that sucks and it sucks more than how much more the thing is better uh is that really modern it's just kind of like well i mean you there's an argument both ways on this i feel because like yes because there's a number of things that we have from this like for instance an iphone i don't think it would take me i don't even think i could make it if i had to make a, a device similar to an iphone or or any kind of phone uh that would require an immense amount of effort for someone to make something like that yeah so we're kind of reliant on stuff. I think you're talking more about, like, making your own sweaters and stuff. Yeah. And that's also an extremely time-consuming process. And if you do that, you are forgoing the opportunity to do other things. So instead of making that sweater, you could be learning how to cook. You could be writing program. You could be um, lifting weights. 
and it's all just a trade-off. And if you're if you're letting like a sweater manufacturer sell you a sweater, you're now trading your monetary value for time, for um, for an an object that will save you time because you you don't have to make your own sweater. That's true. So it's it like this is just how I guess like economies work, and. And that's not to say you can't make your own like like anything that's within your grasp to make, if you have the if it, like, it's fun to do, I think everyone should because like why not? If you if you knit your own sweater, I'm gonna think you're fucking cool. <laughs> um, but I I don't think that it's like necessarily a bad thing that we are using trade to like get our things. I would say that if you can, it's probably better to buy sweaters from like somewhere that isn't a sweatshop. Um, and maybe also buy phones from people who don't make their employees in Foxconn not be able to jump off the building to commit suicide. Uh, Apple, haha, okay. But, uh, mm-hmm. like, obviously you're not going to know all of that. And I also wouldn't really blame the end consumer from ignoring all of that. Um, I think it's just a matter of we need to, if, if there's bad shit going on, we should probably just expose it and make people aware oh yeah because i spent so much time like watching like how it's made videos and also the bbc has a how did they make that uh variant or maybe it's the other way around where how it's made is the american variant and that was first mm-hmm. i don't know uh but like i just look at stuff and it's like you get like an exploded view of like oh yeah that was turned on a router and then sprayed with uh, this stuff and like that <laughs> um then you have like this stuff that's extracted from a mine and then refined to make plastic and um, um, well, I mean, plastic is, like, petroleum, but, you know, I'm saying, like, you look at it, and it's, like, the whole thing has so many moving parts, and it's so complicated. It's, like, the, the ultimate form of Factorio, the video game, or, um, I, I can't think of something with a more complicated supply chain, uh, Terraria, <laughs> the cell phone um, in that game. Yeah, whatever, but, yeah, that's just, like, a, just a complicated like process because if you also you got to think about like how are these how are they getting these engineering machines like the router itself or how do you get that like how do you get the stuff that they're spraying it down with like that's it's probably its own entire process and that's only really made possible by trading so there's probably like one company that makes the router one company that makes the pellets for the plastic one company that makes like the whatever chemical that you spray on this stuff like that's would be a huge undertaking for one company to do but if they can do it, it'd be good. And that's why, like, um, we're going back to Apple here. Um, Apple recently switched off of uh, buying processors from Intel for their new upcoming, like, MacBooks. Um, because they, they can make their own chips, and they have been for many years for, like, iPhones and stuff. Mm-hmm. And so that allows them to be more efficient and, like, make better things. Also, please pardon, there's an emergency happening outside my apartment. Um, I hope they're okay. But... Yeah, I mean, they're not close, but they're passing by. Yeah. Um, but anyways, like, so that, that allows, because they have invested a bunch of money in this, like, chip-making process, which is very expensive, and I don't think a company that's not relatively large would have been able to do this, they're actually able to, like, design chips from scratch for their devices, mm-hmm. which is really good for them, because it saves them money and they get exactly what they want and they don't have to deal with like Snapdragon not making the processors they want like Android phones do. Mm-hmm. 
or Intel dragging their feet and not releasing new features. So Apple has to use like the same chipset for years. Uh, but in the short term, it's probably not that good that good of a move because a lot of like it breaks support for like a bunch of like older programs because it's a it's a new architecture. Mm-hmm. But long term, I think it's kind of a genius strategy for them because now they have one more probably the most expensive step in creating the computer they now have in-house uh, and they can kind of just do it themselves uh, but the thing is apple is only able to do that because they're a billion dollar company that can afford to do that shit and like the average like the average company if you're trying to make a laptop you're not going to be able to afford to make your own entire like chip manufacturing plant you're gonna have to rely on the chips that someone else is selling you, whether that's like Intel, Snapdragon, AMD, or maybe Apple themselves one day. I don't know. I don't think they're selling them to anyone right now, but they would maybe potentially do it in the future. Yeah, and phones just have changed so much, and it's like we're we're kind of like orienting around like the handheld computer idea. Like you can have voice synthesizers on it. You can have like little attachments so that you could have a microscope basically that you just like uh attach to your phone you have like you can attach your phone to telescopes they're like these like little things that you can put on them um you can have them like analyze sound like if chips get faster and faster i'm just thinking i mean besides power consumption and battery sizes uh, uh it's a very interesting uh future that we're moving in i mean climate wise i'm always concerned uh, yeah, I I think I think the real issue with climate is we just need to find new energy energy sources that aren't fossil fuels, like I, a, yeah. like with like with the with battery technology advancing that'll help because we'll be able to store more renewable energy like wind power and stuff like maybe it's not that windy today but we've got battery banks, um, like you got solar panels and stuff that are are good but like I mean they're not the most efficient. Um, as we were talking to that one guy on VR chat, mm-hmm. he was talking about nuclear power. He's very right. Nuclear power has been an option, and it's been very clean as long as you're safe about pr- producing the plants. Because mm-hmm. um, there's a lot of nuclear plants in, in, in America that operate today and are basically a net in France. zero. Yeah, well, like basically a net zero on like the carbon footprint, and you produce so much energy. The only thing is, if you mishandle nuclear uh, energy production there is a potential for great risk. But as long as you're following modern safety standards, um, it's really, really, really unlikely. Yeah, for some uh, ethicists, they would be like, oh, well, you're just pushing the problem forward because so on and so on. But I feel like some nuclear is necessary because we really should push the problem further. We have a lot of work to do, but I think it's not the the technology that's the limit. Well, there's there's nuclear power plants that can like... So, like, you use the uranium or whatever you're using for the fuel, plutonium, I don't know. Uh, and then whatever, like, the, the after, like, the leftovers from that fuel are still radioactive. You can make, like, a less powerful plant that is specifically designed to use that fuel, like, that that waste. You can actually use that to generate fuel and, like, use it again. And then, I mean, obviously, there's going to be some level of, like, nuclear waste, but like we've kind of figured out it's it's significantly less than the impact of like burning tons of coal are yeah that's true and then also like it's a little i mean you mostly just have to find a place to store it that is is good which 
I was watching a documentary. It seems like they they dig big giant tunnels, and it's like, how do we mark this? Because we don't want people to like stumble upon it a thousand years from now and get radiation poisoning because mm-hmm. they don't know what it is. Like, what if the English language doesn't exist or whatever? Mm-hmm. Um, but like, ultimately, as well, I think technology has erupted extremely fast since like the 1800s. Uh, if you just look at like the past 20 years, look at all the things we, we've been able to, we're able to do now that we weren't able to do in the year 2000. Um, I definitely would prefer to switch to nuclear as a fuel source than rather than continuing to use coal and fossil fuels. Same. And like if we're switching to electric cars, then we don't really need gasoline anymore. But um, yeah, here's my thing. Here's my thing. I think that we do have the technology. We just don't have the political social will. Oh, we like, have the, we've had the technology for a long time. Yeah. It's there's a lot of public distrust in nuclear because when people think nuclear, they think bombs. Well, not just nuclear, just the whole thing. Like there's some people that just it's become like climate change is like a political thing in which yeah, the scientists are all in consensus. Like say for like some few like who knows crazy people um but like 99 percent, you know uh but when it comes to like let's say your senator it's like oh uh you know i'm not so sure uh because it because it's like a political thing uh like in the political world people can't even agree that it's a problem but meanwhile like the the pentagon is like yeah it's basically the biggest threat uh it's gonna make covid look like a joke <laughs> like yeah well i mean the thing is people are very short-sighted i feel and like it's easy to ignore what doesn't directly affect you right now mm-hmm. and i mean i think we're all guilty of this to some extent and i like i would love to do anything we could to fight climate change but i also am pretty confident that if it actually gets really bad people will like wake up and be like, oh shit, let's figure out how to like detoxify the earth. And I'm pretty confident that if every single random inventor is like trying to solve this problem, I expect we could probably find something that will help us. Um, now, obviously, the sooner we get started, the better, because we don't want to like have to pick up the pieces after we already shattered the bowl. But um, I just think this this is just a fundamental problem. Like people are gonna put stuff off. Yeah, my my fear and, is that we're gonna like be on some feedback loop that's gonna be so crazy. Like let's say uh, the Arctic me- melting and the alopecia. No, not the alopecia. The albedo effect. You know how like when ice melts, the area where the ice melted is like better at absorbing the sun, so it gets hotter. Um, or like when it comes to the methane underneath the Arctic permafrost, or if there's like, you know, the tying this back to the beginning, um, the Southern pine beetle, if it makes its way up to where, where like Alaska is at, it starts like eating up the forests and like messing with our carbon sinks or like making forest fires I mean, happen more. Cause there's I dead agree. trees. I think that, that definitely would, that it's definitely a possibility for that. Um, it's like a I bunch also, of dominoes going off and uh people were waiting for the disaster but the disaster might be like this big slow moving thing but i mean you're in colorado you just had like a big wildfire bunch, so that might yeah, a bunch of forest fires what well, wildfires i guess yeah yeah it, like um 
does that change people's attitudes and makes them just more concerned? Definitely. I think people like people in like Colorado and like California and all the places that there's been fires, they're freaked out. I don't think the average person really knows what to do about it. And I don't think like the average person is really at that much guilt of the carbon footprint. Like it's the fact it's just our society as a whole is so reliant on fossil fuels and like shipping containers. Did you hear that there's there's a shipping container um I forget which country it's from. Well, our, so, our, it, we have documents that show that our society has been like purposely misinformed by people who knew that this would be a problem like uh, Exxon and, and things like that. Um, yeah, and I think it's just an issue we need to hold them accountable. But other misinformation um, that we get, and this is like a real big problem along with social media and like the post-truth world, is like that people can be like, oh, it's not climate change, it's bad forest management. But I knew that Trump, I didn't know that Trump was smart enough to make that point. Uh, it's not a smart point, but it's like a manipul like it's a truth manipulating kind of smart. Because in Australia, that's what they said when the giant Australian wildfires were going about. They were blaming arsonists, and that was a thing that I saw in the U.S. too. Like with the Californian wildfires, they were like, "Oh, that's Antifa mm -hmm. setting the fires." So they were, in Australia, they were blaming arsonists, and they were also blaming bad forest management. And so the same things like happen here. Like they're coming up with like the same excuses. Like what is the what are the odds? that the same stuff is happening in Australia as it is here. We have some arsonists and we have some like bad forestry people. Uh, uh, it's like these, these narratives just kind of get like recycled. Uh, uh, it, but we just get continuously misinformed, you know? Um, and so people get like this misinformation in their head and it's like, how can you convince them that actually when the average temperature goes up, things get hotter and so they get drier and that makes them light on fire when they're dry, you know? <laughs> you know? Circling back around, Facebook's the worst. People need to stop posting random garbage on Facebook that's not science. Well, here's my second point. Uh, the demography on Facebook, I think, is, like, reflectant of, like, an older audience that makes up a very large percentage of voters. It's decreasing as a percentage, but it's, like, when you think about, like, the kinds of messages that, like, Biden puts out, they're, like, bland type stuff, uh, uh, it, it kind of just appeals to them, you know? It, it might just be that, like, you're not the target audience, because since if we're, like, on these platforms where we're surrounded by people our own age and things like that, that could affect, like, what we think the discourse even is. Uh, uh, so, I mean, of course, Facebook is full of cringe, full of people that deny basic science facts, but maybe... It could just be that when it comes to the public understanding of science, we're really at that level and we should kind of like behave as if we are, you know? Yeah. Um, I guess on that bombshell, we're going to end the show. <laughs> Sorry, I'm kind of like circling back around like the points on the top. I'm just like, oh yeah, here's the Southern Pine Beetle. Here's social media website democracy again information bubbling. I mean, I think that's the that's why we want to be a talk show because <laughs> uh it's just a more it's it's a more free format um from our in unprofessionalism comes interesting tangents hopefully at least yeah yeah of um, course i hope everyone liked it in, anyways wait um so we're gonna end the show here um please if you have any questions or comments Let's do an outro any, like to, any 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 reviews you know you like the uh, please just uh, send them our way at our email address into the zeitgeist at gmail.com oh uh, yes we're doing some sick outro music 
fresh. Let us know how you like it, if you, uh, if you have an opinion on it. Um, and uh, have a great week. Hopefully we'll be back. I think we've, we've, kind of scheduled, we've kind of solidified our schedule to usually come out every Thursday, I think. Um, so I believe I'll be releasing this tomorrow. On a, that'll be a Thursday. And then uh, probably another one next Thursday. Um, no promises. Uh, bye. <laughs> okay.